Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. One of the best movie lines ever goes like this. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. And like that, poof, he's gone. Kaiser Soze may have fooled the cops, but don't let the devil similarly fool you. Lead teacher Randy Pope sets up target number five, God's Power, with part six of Ready, Aim, Pray, which covers Matthew chapter six, verse 13. Thank you for joining us today. Well, if you could eliminate one struggle that you have in your life, one sinful struggle, what would it be that you would choose? And all of us are different. We have different areas of struggle. And maybe for some of us it would be a, a bad habit or a moral compromise of some sort where we know we're, we're doing that which is grieving the heart of God. Maybe it's something like selfishness. Maybe it's anger, uncontrolled temper. Maybe we're, uh, we're using our tongue in an inappropriate way treating people we just can't love the way we shouldn't treat them. I mean, the list would just go on and on and on. We all are struggling. And I bet most of us have one area that would kind of come to the screen of our memory real quickly and say, this one has been the big one for me. I don't seem to get, I don't seem to get the, the victory in that area of my life. If I could just get rid of that one. Well, the truth of it is, because of that one or many that may be in our lives, many of us come to the place. I've heard it over and over. I've tried, and I just cannot overcome. I can't do it. I've tried. Trust me. I've given it my best. I can't. Then as young Christians, some who say that, they come up and hear this verse, 1 Corinthians 10. It says, it says in verse 13, it says, For there is no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful. He'll not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able. And then with the temptation, we'll make a way of escape. And we go, huh, if there's a way of escape, I certainly haven't found it because I have tried. I've given it my best. Then maybe early in our spiritual pilgrimage, we begin to learn things about this one called the devil. Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. And we say, okay, now he tempts us. Is that right? Yeah, he tempts you. Well, maybe that accounts. Maybe that's why I can't find the victory. He's, uh, he's tempting me, and I can't figure it out how to overcome that temptation. We're okay with that. Then maybe we're exposed to this thing called the Lord's Prayer. And it sounds good till we come to the last verse, verse 13. This is how it reads. And lead us not into temptation, God, that's who we're talking to, but deliver us from evil. Then we go, I surrender. If I've got the devil tempting me, and now I found out I've got God tempting me, <laughs> no wonder I can't win. I'll never win. Why even try? Well, let's get one thing straight very quickly. Terrible, terrible translation of the text. Know this, God does not tempt ever. James 1.3 makes it very clear. There should be no doubt. 
James 1, 3, uh, 13, I'm sorry. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. No question, he tempts no one. Here's the problem. We've got a bad translation. Two things. Number one, it wrongly divides the text as if they're two parts, and they're not in the original language. Number two, there is an article. We talked about this kind of grammar issue last week. There is an article, like in the English it would be the, in front of evil. Now, if that happens, it means it's not just talking about evil. It's talking about the evil one. Therefore, it should be translated this way. Deliver us from the evil one so that we will not be led into temptation. By whom? By the evil one. So now at least we've eliminated one problem. God's not going to be tempting us. But I do have temptation coming from this evil one. Maybe there's something with my struggle that's related to that. How do I deal with the temptation of the evil one? And so we want to go through Scripture and find out, well, what does God's Word say about overcoming the temptation of the evil one? So what I want to do is this. I want to walk very quickly through four basic truths. There will be a several realities under each of those truths, and the first two of which have to do with the fact that there's an unseen world and there's an unseen um, leader of that world, the evil world, and that's the devil. And, and we're going to talk about some things about that. This is going to be particularly help, helpful for you that are younger Christians because some of these things you will not have known before. You need to understand if you've got somebody that is tempting you, you need to understand who they are. You need to understand their ways and so forth. So what we'll do then, that won't have anything to do per se with how to pray. The last two points that I make, the major points we make and the realities under them, are going to directly benefit us in figuring out how do I pray so that I can overcome my struggles. So take your outline Let's look at it again, just real quick, bang, 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 walk through these realities. The first truth being, there is an unseen world. So three realities. First is this, number one, the unseen world is filled with angelic beings. Do you believe that? Do you think there are angels around us right now that we can't see? I believe there are. Look what David has to say. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he rescues them, or and rescues them. So David certainly believed that there was. Look at Psalm 91, verse 11. For he, God, will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. Hmm. There's an interesting story in the uh, book of 2 Kings, the sixth chapter. It's of Elisha, a minister along the same time as Elijah. But Elisha was in a situation, you can read about it, and he's with a servant, and it uh, looks like they're about to be taken. They have no hope, and the servant's all concerned, and Elisha says, uh, Lord, open his eyes that he may see, and then he looks and he sees all the angelic world around him that was there all along and he couldn't see. 
You know, just because we can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. If that were the case, then we wouldn't believe in God. We believe God's a spirit. Can there not be spirits that he's created? Certainly there are. So just to know there is an unseen world filled with angelic beings. Number two, reality. These angelic beings are engaged in spiritual warfare. We're going to talk more about that in the second major point. So I'm going to jump uh, right to the, uh, to the next, number three. The activities of the angelic beings greatly affect human beings. They very much do. Good angels, they affect us for good. They protect us and care for us. Bad angels adversely affect us. They are seeking to harm us. Those angels are called demons. Now, one thing we want to remember before I go to the second major point is this. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. In a few minutes, I'm going to say some things very ugly about Satan. I believe the demonic world, maybe Satan, not me, even probably not around me at this point, but the demons, oh, I believe they're real. Do I think they know and they hear what I say? Absolutely. Do I think they're furious with what I'll say? I believe it. Do you think they'll want to do something about it? Absolutely. But there's a text every Christian better hang on to if you believe in an angelic world, good and bad. And that is 1 John 4 says very clearly, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And because our Christ reigns, we can say, God, we count on your protection. Now, let's look at the second major truth here. There is an unseen enemy. Let's focus on the enemy. Who is this one? Five realities here. So very quickly, I'm just going to state them, run through it. Number one, Satan was created as a sinless angel named Lucifer. So the story, if you want to read it, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, they tell the story. Now, we should understand that Lucifer, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, he is very sophisticated. He's very creative. He would be very attractive, very intelligent, very powerful, all of those things. But, folks, what he is not, hear this, he is not omnipresent. He is not omnipotent, all-powerful. He's not omniscient. He is not all-knowing. He doesn't know all things. He has to learn like anyone else. So though those things are true of him, he is not omnipresent. Therefore, am I concerned that he would be right here among us today? Well, not so much, but his demonic world, yes. Absolutely, I would believe that. Number two, Satan rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven. The same text in Ezekiel and Isaiah explain how he was cast out. He now has new names. The names are such as ruler of the world, prince of the power of the air, the god of this age, numerous different names given to him, all referring to the same person. Number three, prior to Christ's death, Satan deceived all the nations and accused believers before God. Now, I want you to look at something. Where I say prior to Christ's death, I just made it simple but in reality, we're talking about his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Putting all that together, Satan deceived prior to that all the nations and accused believers before God. 
If you were here during the, the message when we talked about God's kingdom, I taught through the text, Revelation 12, to understand how this was taking place. He deceived the nations except for Israel. He could accuse us before God, and he could say, you call your child so-and-so and put your name in there. But he, she, has never been redeemed. A Savior has not done any work on their behalf. Therefore, cannot be redeemed without a Savior. And he's thinking, and I'll, I'll get rid of that Savior before he ever can do so. I'll take his life as an infant. If that doesn't work, I'll tempt him in the desert. And I'll try to, I'll try to get him to deny his own father. And so he was accusing us at that point. Number four. When Christ died, again, use the broader understanding of death, Satan was defeated and stripped of his previous realms of glory, meaning the two things he was stripped from, remember? No longer can deceive the nations. Now Gentiles can come to faith. You and I have come to faith. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. That would not have happened in the Old Testament day. There wouldn't be masses of people like us as followers. No longer does he deceive, or, or does he, I'm sorry, accuse us before the Father. That now has ended. But he is bound now. We call that binding, meaning bound from what? From deceiving and accusing, those two things. Therefore, we've got the glorious promise. Because God's kingdom has come, Romans 8, 33 who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. He's saying, Christian, you know this, never ever once will any of you ever find me charging you with guilt in terms of judgment because you're my child. You're covered with the blood of my son. Therefore, I see you in the righteousness that I see my own child Jesus you keep that in mind. You are my child. You are the brother of Jesus. You're the sister of Jesus. Keep that in mind. That's important. You've got to know that. Never, never, never. Number five, reality. Satan now roams the earth, seeking as a lion those he can devour. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, there's a, a text many of you have probably heard before. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, he's roaring, seeking to devour. He can still do that. The only thing he can't do is deceive the nations. He can't accuse us before the Father. But, boy, he's sure free to do other. He's roaming about, and he wants to get you and me. Now, when it says that he's roaming to do this... Yes, he does, but this is referring to his demonic world as well. It's not that he's omnipresent, so he has his demons that do the very, very same thing. Now, I had somebody ask me just a week or two ago. They said, help me understand this. Doesn't Satan, as intelligent as he is, doesn't he know what is? That, okay, Christ reigns. He knows that. He knows he's ultimately defeated. He knows what he can and cannot do. And, I mean, if he's bright, he knows it. If we know it, certainly he would know it. I don't think so. And this is what I mean. 
You can be extremely intelligent, but could be deranged, have an IQ that's beyond imagination, but not be able to think in logic well. The truth of it is, the only reason that you and I as fallen people can logic and think clearly and so forth is the fact that we've got grace given to us. We have special grace if a child of God, meaning that I receive the grace that brings me into a relationship with him. But as part of humanity, I have what's called common grace, Christian and non. The grace that enables me to think logically and to be able to live civilly and all the things we enjoy, that's God's grace as well. So how much grace do you think God's given to the devil, to the demonic world? Now, I'll tell you what, deranged. You think that angers him? The fact that I'm talking like that about him and his dominion? Oh, absolutely. But we remember too, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But the truth of it is, now, he, he is believing he can win, even though we know he can't. All right? Now, that's just a, a quick bang, 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 bang. Hit a few things that just to know. Now, how does this deal with prayer? We're about to come to our fifth target of prayer. I think of it as something I'm aiming toward as I'm, as I'm praying or maybe a platform that I've, I've set now on the, the various platforms, the four up to now. Now I've got one final platform, and it's the one that has to do with God's power. Deliver me from the evil one so that I may not be led into temptation. I could just quote that and say, okay, Lord, deliver me. But if I want to pray well, I want to dig down. I don't want to just say, deliver me from the evil one. And so I want to give you some different channels to walk through to think about as you pray in this area. Maybe you've got two minutes, maybe you've got five minutes, but you've got more than five seconds to just to, to say that little prayer. What do you really want to ask God so that you might be delivered from the evil one and his temptation? So let's go to point numbers three and four where we'll engage that. Number three, the enemy has an ingenious strategy now, if you're going to fight somebody, as a kid, if you were going to be in a fight, you want to know, how does he fight? Is he a good fighter or is he a bad fighter? Does he, does he have strong right? Does he have a strong left? What, you know, what am I dealing with? If you're at war with a country, you want to say, how are they going to, you know, what's the strategy? Are they coming by land, by sea, by air, by all? I, I want to, the more you know, the better chance you have of winning. So many Christians don't know the strategy of the evil one. And so let me suggest two realities here. The first, the strategy incorporates the use of three allies. You've got Satan, not omnipresent. You've got demons that can be present. But is it just the demons kind of speaking in our ear? No, no, no. He's got allies. Here's the story of Revelation. If you read through Revelation... You're going to see these allies mentioned. Let me mention there are three. Number one, the first is what's called the sea beast. You may have read about it. Don't think it's something coming out of the water. It's some kind of physical beast. The sea beast in Revelation is simply talking about the power structures that align themselves with the humanistic and secularistic ways of the evil one. Power structures. In business. Government. Talking to somebody last night. We're having a conversation. We're talking about their business. They're talking about the, 
the guy that made millions of dollars that's over him. So just uh, had a hedge fund of a billion bucks and this, that, and the other. And just now he's over this company and said, the guy's, I mean, he's, he, he's just like crazy. What he does, what he thinks, what he believes, what he lives, how he, what he projects, the, the way, uh, he said, it's just horrible. He's not even a good businessman. But he said, man, the way, and he started talking about him, and I go, well, that's okay. I kind of get that. There's the, why would, how could somebody be in that kind of a position? Well, power structures, I expect that. How, how about this? Do any of you ever read the news, watch the news, listen to the news, and you hear some of the things that our politicians are doing, believing, and enacting, and go, they, they must not have a brain. They must not think. I mean, they, certainly anybody, you know, a, a teenager would know that that is wrong and that is bad, that is harmful. It's going to take us, why would a majority of people even hold us up? Where do they come up with this sort of stuff? And I read the news like that and I go, I'm not surprised. The power structures. I mean, they are allies to the evil one, and he uses those. But it doesn't stop there. Number two, false prophet. You read about the false prophet. It's not an individual that's going to live one day and it's going to teach and everybody's going to go and gather around and listen to him. False prophet is just used to talk about the pagan religions and philosophies that exist. You tell me, how is it that Islam could take root the way it's taken root? One of the things that I cover in If... On certain times, certain years when we do it, I've done one week where I focused on, all right, let's look at other religions. And I walked through four major world religions. One of them is Islam. Look at their leader. Look at Muhammad. I give the history. And people, what do they do? They say, how can anyone follow? What would make anybody believe it's even realistically possible? I say, well, because there is the, the false prophet. And so God has told us there's going to be an enemy that, that we have to fight. It's an ally to the evil one. How could it be that my pastor growing up, when I would finally became old enough to understand the Scriptures, would talk to him and find out he didn't really hold to the Bible and believe in it? Why does somebody align themselves and give themselves to religious leadership like this and they don't even believe what we believe in the Bible? Some of the rudiments. I don't get it. Oh, yeah, I do now. There is the false prophet. We shouldn't be surprised. There's a third, and this one gets us all. This one is the big one for most of us. This is the one that's called the great harlot, or Babylon, as it's often called. Seductive influences. I'm telling you, these are the things that really get us because uh, these are the... These, you, this ally is the ally of wealth and power and fame and... And boy, does the evil one use those to attract us and to get us offline. So obviously very important that we know the allies so that we see them and we ah, identify you. I see what you are. You may look good, but you're not. So know the allies. The second reality we need to look at, the strategy revolves around a threefold plan. You need to know this is the plan of the evil one. Threefold. Number one, he tempts. He tempts us. Therefore, we need to be praying, and we need to say, Lord, I know that the evil one does tempt me. I know that. 
And I need to be delivered from that temptation. I need to realize that he is going to brush technicolor images in my mind that are going to be so beautiful and so attractive that I say, wow, I need that. I need to realize that he knows what I'm a sucker for. And for us, it's different things. For some, it's money. For some, it's security. For other people, it's going to be power. For others, it's going to be fame. But he knows every one of us says, I found out what they fall for easily. And therefore, Lord, I need to be aware that the evil one will use all these kind of things to tempt me. I want to be alert and very aware of that. So first he tempts. Number two, he deceives. He deceives us. So as I pray, I want to say, Lord, I know that I'm given to deception and that he is very deceiving and he's going to use these seductive type things or religions or whatever to make me doubt. I understand that. I need to, Lord, be protected. I know he exaggerates. I know he makes false promises. So I have to be aware that I'm going to have thoughts that come across my mind that say things like this. You know what? If you just embrace, if you take, you're going to be happier. Oh, I know that it's against what God says, but if you will overindulge in things, if you'll get more things, you'll be happier. If you just do this, you will. Oh, this is, by the way, this may be your last opportunity single, and, you know, he, she really cares for you, and they're, they're good people. I know they don't follow Jesus, but you know what? In time, you'll win them. Come on, come on. We just got to know that, that, Lord, I'm believing things that are not true. God, protect me from believing the things that aren't true. I had a couple of friends I was just with, and we were talking. One, you know, I'm not sure yet where he is spiritually, and the other, a very new Christian. And they're talking about a mutual friend of theirs that just committed, committed suicide. And one of the two made this statement, said, you know, what really just doesn't make sense? I don't get this. They, multimillionaire, beautiful, wonderful wife and family, I mean, this guy had everything you could want. Why would he take his life? And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, you got to understand this. They're the ones that would probably be more likely because they've now gotten what they thought would bring happiness, and it didn't, and therefore they're empty. They don't know where to go. They're hopeless. The rest of us say, well, if I could get this, and maybe one day I will, and if I could have that, maybe one day I will, then I'll be. So we're always looking. We can get it. No, it's the other way around. I shared with them the story. When I was, when I was uh, in graduate school, during the summers I had a job at a particular town, and I would, I'd have to go between where I lived and get to my place of work, and I drove the same route every single day. And as I would drive that route, every morning there was the same couple. They were a homeless couple. You could tell. They had a little shopping cart. They were in rags. And they would go through trash can after trash can. They'd pull out what few little things they could find, recycle or to, I don't know, eat. I don't know. But every time I drove by them, if they weren't stopped at a trash area, they were walking toward the next, always holding hands and always smiling. And it bothered me. And I'd drive by them and I'd say, why are they so happy? 
How is it that they would be so happy? I bet you don't find a lot of people in their situation committing suicide. You'd think they'd be the ones that would. No. Because, see, we get deceived. Now, that's not a glorious place to live as they were living. That's why the psalmist says, give me neither poverty nor riches. He's saying not that either one's wrong. But, oh, my goodness, they're so deceiving. Be careful. So he does deceive. The third thing he does, he accuses. Look at this. He accuses us. Now, remember, he doesn't deceive the nations anymore. He deceives Christians. He doesn't accuse us before God. He accuses us directly. And through his demonic presence and so forth, very easy. All he has to do is say, remember, after what you just did, God will never use you. You can't be a first-class citizen in God's family you know this, uh, you don't really matter to God. If you're going to live like that, you know what? You're never going to make it spiritually. You know that. Give up trying. And he's just accusing us all the time. And so as we pray, we want to say, God, I know I'll be tempted. I know I'm easily deceived. Keep me from these deceptions, particularly one I keep believing about. Fill in the blank. Lord, as I hear these accusations, let me remember the truth that I am yours. I'm your child and you love me and nothing will separate me from your love. A great way to pray when you're praying, deliver me from the evil one so I will not be led into temptation. Leads us to the fourth and final. God has provided an adequate defense. So what is his defense? Well, it's multiple. I'm going to mention three. Three different defense systems that we have. The first is just an awareness of the present reign of Christ. Do I believe his kingdom has come? Yes, I do. Is he reigning right now? Yes, he is. Will the evil one ever get his way? Not really. Oh, but so-and-so fell. He got a hold of him. He fell. Oh, I know. And you know what? That temptation, he went down. She went down. Oh, yeah, I know that. Well, this person died, and look at this illness, and look at what the evil one did there. Oh, I know. But he doesn't win. We know as Christians, all things work together for good. We should know particularly this Easter, as we see the risen Christ, what happens? John says, and I wept because no one was worthy to open the scroll. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. And here comes the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. And he opens the scroll. And he, what's he doing? By opening the seals, he is saying, now this are my decrees, and I can now I can decree all things that come to pass. I will execute it according to your glory. And so the ultimate news is we win every time. We never lose. Oh, we lose this little skirmish, yeah, but the battle, it's already been won. Just to remember that. And so we can pray, God, let me remember you reign right now as I'm tempted. And, Lord, I'm being tempted not even to, not even to think consciously about other people. Easter, if, or whatever we're talking about. I'm just thinking about me, but God, don't let me do that. Let me think beyond. And so, certainly, the present reign of Christ. I shared, I, I tell a story or so from my experience a week ago with these guys from all over the world, and one of the pastors there, this man is as reputable as anybody I know, a man of integrity. He was asked to share a story with us, and he did. And it was a story I'll tell quickly, but it was a story of a, a man and woman. 
that he, he knows. And he said it was telling their story of coming to Christ. He said, you know, the worst things are happening right now in Egypt you could ever imagine. But God is moving. And because of, the, of all the push down to Christian stuff and so forth, they said God's doing it through miracles and signs and wonders like you've never seen. Visitations of God. Incredible numbers of people coming to faith by visions and, and dreams. Just seeing Jesus and understanding the gospel having never understood. He told the story of one couple, atheist Muslim. They were Muslim, but they turned atheist. They rejected their own Muslim beliefs, all beliefs about God. And she remembered from her earliest days when she was a child in her uncle's church that she used to play the piano and that she was exposed to Christianity, but she rejected it with her husband now, living in a different place. She was becoming so empty in life. She said, honey, we got to go back to that church. I've got to hear it. I've got to understand, are we missing something? He didn't want to do it. Finally, he agreed. They go, they spend their day. She's upstairs with the, the, uh, the pastor's wife. And the pastor's wife says to her, the reason you're empty is you need Jesus. And she said, I can't believe in Jesus. I don't. said, would you just pray with me now? And we're going to ask God to reveal himself, that Jesus would reveal himself to you. He does that. She prayed, listened to the woman pray right there with her and not believing. She comes down the steps. She sees her husband. She looks at her hand, and there's a red cross on her hand. And it was so vivid. It was so clear. She said, this could this be a sign? She showed it to her husband, told what had just happened. He said, that's ridiculous. From the banister, the rail, pressure, that's nothing. The physical issue, that's all. Well, in the next day or so, too, I forget how long, but she'd have a little sensation of burn. She'd look down, and there would be a, there'd be a red cross on her shoulder and on her stomach. There would be a little cross, and these little crosses started showing up. She shows it to her husband. Her husband takes a picture of it and says, we're going to the doctor. We'll let the doctor decide. We go to the doctor, doctor says, we can't figure out what it is. It's not a rash. It's not, we can't figure out anything. I don't know. He still says, ridiculous. It's something physical. Forget this. It's not true. Well, the lady prayed. She said, God, I don't know if it's real or not, but if this is of you, show yourself in a clearer way. She was looking in the mirror, and she saw her stomach, and it had the word Lord written on it. Now, I'm hearing this right now, and I'm going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. That's what he's heard, but let's check it out, you know. Well, goes on to tell the story that goes to her husband and says, now, how do you handle this one? And he said, I don't know, but he said, God, if it's you, show me. And looked up and under there, it said, Jesus was Lord. I'm still going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, and I trust this man, I do. I trust him as I would any, I mean, one of the most respected men I know. And he said, and I wouldn't have believed it myself until they showed me the pictures and I saw them in my own eyes. And there it was. I don't know how you would deny it. What, is that too hard for God? God can show up in a vision, dream, show himself? No. Let me tell you, God reigns. God reigns. Is Egypt losing the war? Is the church, are they losing it? And he said, no, no, no. The church is being pressured, but the church is alive. God's doing big things. Quickly, second, the armor of God. It's in Ephesians 6, and I'm not going to read the text, 10 through 18. We don't have time, but the armor of God, go and study and read that passage. Here's the various armor that's been given to us. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the word. And they're illustrated by a belt, breastplate, footwear, shield, helmet, sword, but 
these are things God has given to every Christian. He says, understand, you have, you have some protection. Utilize what I've given you. So that's a study in and of itself, maybe a later date. But go study that text in uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Lastly, lastly, and that is we have to appropriate the power of God's spirit. And we have a third, and I'll put this up on the screen, the power of God's indwelling spirit. Folks, why in the world is it that I can talk to the Christian community that's been exposed to the truth about the Holy Spirit's indwelling in power and can ask, have you recently appropriated the power of God's Spirit? Did you do it this morning when you woke up? Have you done it today as you faced challenge? Have you done it this week and and know that the majority of Christians are going to say, mm-mm, uh, maybe I do it subconsciously. Well, we should pray without ceasing. That's kind of subconsciously we pray. But wouldn't it be odd for someone to say, but I haven't prayed for weeks and weeks in a conscious, you know, get alone, pray that. That would be odd for a Christian. Wouldn't it be odd for a Christian to walk through life week after week, month after month, and not appropriate the power of God's Spirit. Yeah, I'll tell you why the devil is winning. It's because we're fighting, but we're fighting with willpower. God never expected us to win with willpower. He expected us to win with his power, the Holy Spirit. He's given us the Spirit for that reason. I'm not going to teach how to go back through it now. You've been going through it in discipleship, I know. But you can go on our website, and go to primitive.org slash pope. Better yet, just go to primitive.org slash pope, and you will see there a 22-minute teaching that I've given on how to appropriate the power of God's Spirit. And if it's not a part of your daily life, listen to it every day till it does because I'm telling you, folks, it is not worth living life fighting and losing, fighting and losing, fighting and losing just because we're using willpower and forgetting the power of God. And so... If your day didn't begin today with appropriating the power of God's Spirit, let me tell you, friend, you're missing something critically important. Go back to the rudiments. Make sure that's the way you're fighting your battle, in the power of God's Spirit. Well, the text you know ends with a, a little added little phrase. It's not in all manuscripts. Some of the earlier manuscripts it's not in. Even if we're not there, it wouldn't matter because it's so consistent with the rest of the teaching of Scripture. But you know how it ends. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen, which means so let it be. Let me tell you, don't just read that and say, okay, Lord, now's the power. Here's the kingdom, power, and glory. Amen. No. This is your formula for life right here. If you lose everything else, you hang on to this. There is your formula for life. You want life at its best? Here's what you do. You hold on to this. God's kingdom. You pray, oh, God, let your kingdom be more important than my kingdom. Let your kingdom come through me today. You start waking up with a kingdom mindset, thinking and praying and hoping for kingdom. God, who can I, how can you use me today? Maybe there's somebody this Easter. Where are you going to use me, Lord? People need your gospel. I want your kingdom to come. God, how are you going to use me today? Can I serve someone? Can I help somebody? Can I, can I be a messenger for you in any form or fashion? Word of thee, God, use me. That's thy kingdom come. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom. The second, power. 
We just talked about it. Lord, not my power, willpower. Your power, the Holy Spirit power. Let me live today by your power. Thirdly, glory. Oh, God, don't let me live for my glory. Let me live for your glory so that I may experience your glory so I might be satisfied, not with the things of this world and all this stuff and if I can just do this and accomplish. No, it's your glory that gives me satisfaction. I believe that. So, God, now... Your kingdom, your power, and your glory. Please, please, please. Amen. That's a good way to end prayer right there. I'll tell you this, parents. You want to have the greatest hope for success with your children? You let your life spill out with those three themes and everything you're doing and the way you talk to your children, the way you help them. Let them know to dad, to mom, it's kingdom, power, and glory. Kingdom, power, and glory. Those three, you get on top of those three. Let me tell you, your life is going to be okay. I don't know what kind of trials you'll go through. You'll be okay. You will be able to say when life comes to the end, you know what? That's all I needed right there. Kingdom, power, glory. We're going to pray. Give me the privilege to model a brief closing prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we have a privilege now for just a minute to pray about this specific aspect of of your, your prayer. Lord, deliver us from the evil one because we don't want to fall to temptation. Lord, would you grant us to have a, uh, a reality of, of knowledge and awareness of the allies that exist, that p- the power structures, the religious uh, emphases of this world against Jesus and the seductive Um, influences of this world. God, make us so aware of the allies more than ever before. And Lord, the strategy, we know that we're going to be tempted this week. We're going to be deceived. Keep us from the deception, the lies that we've been believing. When we're accused, God, let us remember your great love for us. We pray for the defense that we might be able to hold on to the realities of the kingdom having come, that you reign for the armor you've given us. God, let me wear the armor. Protect me, Father. And for the power of your spirit, even now, we appropriate the power of your spirit, remembering what we know to be true, holding on to the fact we've died in our sin, we've been united with our Jesus, and we've been raised up to newness of life. Now, Lord, take everything, take our whole being, the members and instruments of our body, use them as instruments of righteousness, particularly our minds, what we're thinking, our eyes, what we're looking at, our hearts, what we feel and believe, and every part of our being, we give it over to you. And, Lord, we ask that it may be your kingdom, not ours, your power, not ours, and, and Lord, your, your great glory, not our own. Grant it, we pray, and we thank you in the great name of Christ. Amen. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia, with services Saturday night at 6 and Sunday morning at 9 and 1045. Please visit our website for more information at www.perimeter.org. Be sure to visit the media resources section to give us your feedback and find other messages from our teaching team.